Ladies and gentlemen, I am Jared LeMay, and this is the Good Roads Podcast. I'm going to dive right in today with today's topic. Uh, with the broad reach and general anonymity of the internet, it was only a matter of time before people began using it with malicious intent. With the ability to reach a great many people with minimal cost and effort, scams have been ramping up not only in complexity, but also in quantity. And with our lives becoming ever more intertwined in the digital world, these scams are getting more frequent and wider ranging, not only to us at home, but to the places we work and the municipalities we serve. In the past few years, we've heard a, a bunch of uh, grand-scale cyber attacks, such as the American Petroleum Pipeline that was held under ransomware. But even in our own backyards, municipalities have been targeted and defrauded. The city of Ottawa was hit with a phishing scam to the tune of $128,000. St. Mary's, Ontario was caught up with ransomware that uh, locked and copied key pieces of data that could have contained identifying information. Even here at the Good Roads office, we occasionally get uh, phishing scams to send iTunes gift cards to random email addresses. So on today's episode, I'm very happy to have, during Cybersecurity Awareness Month, as luck would have it, Lisa Plagmeyer, the Executive Director of the National Cybersecurity Alliance, to discuss the hows, whys, and protection from cyber attacks. Thanks for joining us today, Lisa. I know it must be an especially busy time being Cybersecurity Awareness Month. Yeah, it is. It is. But thanks for ha having me. I'm happy to, happy to be here. Oh, fantastic. It's uh, good to have another um, expert to discuss this with. Um, defrauding people, especially through technical means, is one of my pet peeves. Having a technical background, it just drives me absolutely insane. But um, let's dive right in. I'm going to get uh, right into the nitty gritty right off the bat. And we're, I want to start with the how, because if anybody takes anything away from this, if they shut off this podcast right away, I want them to know what they're looking for in terms of how this fraud is committed and to sort of set off those red flags. So um, right from the beginning, people usually think of cybercrime as somebody in a dank, dark basement, uh, black screen with green text and type, type, type away. And uh, in TV shows where you've got one hacker facing another. But um, the... Yeah, uh, not no, not at all. <laughs> uh, hacking is a lot, a lot more different than that and a lot more people oriented as we're going to get into but um through some of the hows you can see how this is uh more people oriented um the main the main type of scam is called phishing with a ph at the start um do you want to go over that quickly yeah i mean i guess i'll i'll, I'll back up a little bit um when you when you talk about fraud in general or cyber i i would go broader and call it call it cybercrime um, okay. it's, it's, it's based in social engineering. It's the, the, right. the, a lot of folks like to say that the weakest link is the human being. Um, <laughs> yes, and, yes, exactly. yeah, uh, you know, I, I also think the human being has the ability to be your strongest, um, defense as well. Right. We just have to pay attention to what we're doing. And, um, unfortunately the internet was never designed to be secure. It was designed for this open and free flow of information. Right. And God bless the folks that worked on it in the early days. They never <laughs> thought that anybody would use it to do harm. Well, like anything in the world, it doesn't take very long before um, bad people find out how to use um, 
something good to do bad things. So we've been, yeah, we've been fighting that ever since. Um, So phishing is just one form of social engineering, just tricking you, tricking well-intentioned, well-meaning, very intelligent people into doing something they didn't mean to do. So sometimes it looks super obvious, like the old Nigerian prince scams. <laughs> um, or, uh, but more frequently, what we see is that because this isn't some hacker in a basement somewhere, this is organized crime. This is the big four. This is Russia, China, uh, North Korea, and Iran, and right. um, criminal gangs that often operate in conjunction with those the governments of those four countries. So. They're using all the same technology that we use in the legitimate world. So you're up against a machine. You're up against yeah. technology. You're up against, you know, they're, they're highly organized. So to make a phishing email these days, they're going to use somebody with marketing skills to build a phishing email that looks, you know, an Amazon delivery notice or a, or a you know, a receipt that you've ordered something online or what have you that looks exactly like the real thing. And it's going to take you to a site that looks really close to the real thing. So, um, so it's your game of numbers too. You're going to, they're going to eventually hit somebody who's ordered something from that site and is expecting something and they're going to walk right into it. Exactly. Yeah. So you have to pay attention. You have to hover over links to see what the, what URL the link is really taking you to. Yeah. You have to look at the sender address, pay a lot of attention to that. And in the some sender cases, address is a big one too. Yeah. What's that? The sender address is definitely yeah. a big one too. I know yeah. at the Good Roads office, um, the, my, my immediate red flag is when our executive director sends an email asking me to do a favor for him and he's never that nice. <laughs> Buy some gift cards. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's red flag right there. Yeah. And then I look yeah. at the sender email and it's exec direct at Gmail. Well, at Good Roads here, we have an At Good Roads account, but I mean, it, it can even get a little bit more complicated than that when they replace an O with a zero or right. an L with a capital I. Or my favorite is an R N for an M. That one, that one wow. can be really hard to see. That, yeah. yeah. Um, the other thing we see a lot now is um, one of your maybe somebody in your supply chain or another another entity that you do business with in some way, a supplier for something, um, maybe they have their email address get compromised, right? right. So a, it's actually a legitimate sender address because it's the person you're used to doing business with. And um, maybe they're sending you something that you were actually expecting. So I saw this happen at a company I used to work at where we had a customer who had their email box compromise, bad guys in the email box, sending our salesperson a fake DocuSign email. And the salesperson was in the sales cycle with that customer and was expecting a contract from them. Oh, wow. So um, sometimes you have to use your spidey senses. Now I asked him, he clicked on it. I asked him um, if he was expecting a DocuSign. He said, no, I was actually just expecting a PDF of the signed contract, but I figured maybe the client changed their mind and was using DocuSign. So you kind of have to use your spidey senses and ask yourself, right. is this exactly what I was expecting? Um, and if it well, doesn't the other thing, well right, then you pick up the, the phone other, and you call. Yeah. Well, the other thing too you mentioned there is they asked you about or you asked them and um, double checking with somebody too, like getting another set of eyes on it. Because if yep. you are expecting something similar right. to that, I mean, I do that in graphic design all the time is I'll work on a file forever and I'll be so in depth into it. I don't see the little things that pop out, but mm-hmm. somebody who has nothing to do with that email. Um, 
So yeah, just to circle right. back to all of this, um, it, it and you hit the nail on the head right off the bat. This is social engineering, and you can look at it with all of the different types of cyber attacks from like romance schemes, ransomware. You need you need somebody to download something, and that encrypts. It usually comes through phishing. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Um, identity theft. Um, even the more complex digital-driven attacks, such as rats and keyloggers, uh, they, they require you to download something which, yep. like you said, goes through phishing. Um, so it, it's a, it, like you said, it's a huge social engineering component. And you might it. click on something and end up with a, a, a keyboard logger being downloaded to your machine. You don't realize it's happening. So yes, very exactly. often there's not an immediate sign that you did something wrong. And right. so that's why it's important to tell your IT team, like, I clicked on this thing. I don't think I should have. Uh, <laughs> and they can run scans on your machine and make sure that um, you don't have a virus or something else bad. Exactly. Happens. And yeah. um, even for the smaller municipalities, um, let somebody know. Uh, yep. I mean, for the most part, they have somebody looking after their IT department, their computers and so on and so forth. Let somebody know that something right. may have happened. Um but with that social engineering, um, I want to circle back to uh, the security, cybersecurity attitude and behaviors report that um, I believe should be out by now, correct? Yes, it's called Obehave, and the 2022 <laughs> version has is, is just been released. Um, and this year, so last year we surveyed 1,000 people in the U.S. and 1,000 people in the U.K., and this year we added 1,000 people in Canada. So you can see okay. how, how you compare to... Two of the other so, five eyes, as we like to say. <laughs> With that being available, I will I'll, uh, forward that on in the show notes and everything like that. But um, w- with this uh, report, um, what can you tell me about people's general attitude towards cybersecurity? Um, people are a little bit frustrated and a little bit <laughs> intimidated. And I think um, we only have ourselves to blame. Uh, well, and I'll blame the media a little bit, too, for the intimidation yeah. factor. And it's, it's because of that image that you talked about earlier that people conjure up in their heads. Very frequently when we hear about um, a, a data breach or a security incident and it makes the, the news, the evening news, um, you know, it tends to be kind of sensationalized and they won't really talk about the root cause. Normally you don't know the root cause immediately when it happens. Right. Um, and they'll show, even though they might you know, be interviewing a talking head or somebody like me or a security professional about the, about whatever it is that happened. At some point they overlay that person's voice with pictures of a hacker in a hoodie or the close-up yeah. of fingers on a keyboard or a close-up of a motherboard or a server room or other things that just to the average human look pretty intimidating. Um, right. So I think we kind of got what we asked for. We, in the security community to, for too long, we've used um, fear to try and get people to kind of pay attention and maybe change their behavior a little bit. And, um, and so now people are afraid. <laughs> so <laughs> that doesn't translate into behavior change that, no. you know, I, I, I'm an ex advertising person and, and marketing person. Um, and my formative career years were spent at Ford Motor Company. And I, um, you know, I, I like to joke that if, uh, if if fear worked as a motivator, all the ads that we see on television would be scary. Right, but they, yeah. it doesn't no, work. It's not a good um, a good. Uh, it doesn't inspire people to have lasting behavior change to actually take action. So no, things like there, there are there are so many simple things that people can do 
things like not using the same password for multiple <laughs> accounts, things like that, um, using multi-factor authentication, things like that are really important and can go yeah. a long, long, long way to protect you and your, your organization. Um, but if you're too busy being afraid <laughs> and frustrated, then right. you're not going to do those things. So um, we've, we're taking a different tack this October and we're talking about peace of mind and how much better you can feel if you do these things and how quick okay. and easy some of them are. And, and that's the thing, behavior modification and quick and easy. I mean, people are looking for a quick fix, I guess, which is why fear doesn't really work because it's, right. uh, yeah, you freeze. But, um, yeah, you freeze. And, mm -hmm. and with a lot of people, um, computers aren't really their forte digital the digital yeah. landscape is not something they spend a lot of time with or look at so when they hear people are being attacked and so on and so forth they don't know what to do and they freeze up and they are afraid right um yeah so that's a pretty scary attitude i guess in and of itself um just to lock up like that um is this just uh I know when people think of computers, they think it's the older generation people who haven't grown up with computers. Is that what this report has shown? Is it mainly an older generation or is it um, it's, sort it's, of across the board? It's both ends of the spectrum. So I like to say it's people like my mom and people like my kids. <laughs> <laughs> um, a lot of people that are like sort of working adult age um, get some form of cybersecurity training or instruction at their place of employment. Um, right. If you're if you're a, a municipality and you you don't any sort of government entity and you're not doing cybersecurity training, you really need to. And there's tons of stuff available out there for free. Okay. Um, we've got videos. There's there's training companies that offer. If you're a small organization, they have either free or really reasonable pricing on training. There's really no excuse to not have some sort of cybersecurity training for your employees, um, and I would argue your constituents. Um, yeah. So what we see is that younger people are faster to click on things that okay. um, might compromise them in some way, but they don't have a lot of assets, right? <laughs> so what we also see is that older folks um, who aren't digital natives, they're more suspicious. They move a little slower with the technology, which is to their advantage because they're paying more attention to what they're doing more so than people like my kids who are just clicking away. But when they get scammed, when they get defrauded, it's for very large dollar amounts. So right. think about things like romance scams of widows or widowers that might take two to three years to unfold. Somebody grooms that victim for a really long time and eventually yeah. can melt them for their life savings. Well, or things like um, mortgage scams yeah. where um, it's somebody a little bit older who might have a very large down payment on a mortgage and um, they end up wiring that to somebody who's actually a bad guy, not the not the mortgage broker or the, right. the title company or any of those and things. And I believe so, um, the city of Ottawa, that the $128,000 I mentioned earlier was over a little bit of time and that was... Um, somebody posing as the mayor or town clerk or something like that requesting funds over a long yep. period of time as well. And yep. I mean, for most people, $128,000 isn't a small sum, uh, even for a city like Ottawa is still mm -hmm. not, not, not a good, um, sum. Yeah. And I would also say that I know, uh, South of the border here in the U S yeah. I know that, um, for a time, there were um, organizations that really tried to, to rely on their cyber insurance 
to okay. cover things like that or things like ransomware, but the, the rules have really changed and the insurance companies have wised up. <laughs> they oh, really? have some pretty high expectations for you before they'll pay a claim. So, really? um, so, you know, you can't kind of be negligent or put your head in the sand, pretend this isn't happening. And then when right. something goes wrong, expect that your insurance is going to pay a claim. So, so really be careful that, there. You've got to show that you've done your due diligence up until this point. You've done training. You've done um, some of the uh, uh, solutions we're going to talk about a little bit later before your insurance will pay out. I mean, good for them in a way. They can't be paying this all the time. But um, I remember hearing about one insurance organization paying for an Ontario municipality for their ransomware to get their information back because they didn't have backups, which right. isn't of itself another um, another way to get around these things. Yeah, I think I think the important thing to know about ransomware before you spend taxpayer dollars paying <laughs> paying <laughs> the bad guys, I yeah. think the thing to really think about is: Are we prepared as an organization? So you right. can run something called a tabletop. Doesn't matter how small of an organization you are, how small of a of a municipality you might be, but just getting all the leadership together—not just technical people, but leadership together around a table—and you practice running an incident. Now, I'll actually right. tell you about a resource that you can use um, in Canada, even though it's provided by the U.S. government. So there's um, there's an entity known as the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency in the U.S. They're a part of the okay. Department of Homeland Security. And if you go to CISA.gov, C-I-S-A.gov. I'll put that in the show notes. They have a ton of free resources and um, they have templates. So if you don't want to pay, you know, a big consulting company to come in and run a tabletop exercise for you, they have templates in there and it's basically build your own exercise. So you can practice having a ransomware incident. You can practice like, oh, okay, came in through a phishing email or somebody clicked on something. This is what we're seeing in our system. Here's what's happening. What do we do? And so it's really, really, really important that you're prepared. It's also really important that you decide, and I think it's a policy decision and frankly, a moral decision, an ethical decision. Do we want to be an organization that fuels cybercrime and pays criminals for doing this? Because the more right. we pay them, the more they're going to do it. And in some cases, they will even come after a victim a second time because they yeah. know they're going to get paid. Well, or the thing is, they'll like, target you, like victims, right? Yeah. They'll target other municipalities. Them, if you pay them, there's no guarantee they're going to release it. They right. may say, okay, you need me more. You need more. Yep. Yep. So uh, mm. we, we do not advocate for paying them. No. Um, and if you decide, if you make a policy decision that says as an organization, we are not going to do this, then you have to ask yourself, okay, what do we have to do to not be susceptible to paying, to not, to not have not paying shut us down? Well, then, like you said, you've got to have backups that are properly configured. You've got to ha- do some tabletop exercises, practice having yeah. an incident, and make sure your employees know you know, shut down their machine, drop off the network, whatever it is, if they if they right. get um, sign of ransomware on their machine. So, and in terms of municipalities, uh, with, with information that's very very vital and very personal, um, maybe some sort of encryption as well. Yeah, yeah. I I think um, don't think of it as it's not going to happen to us. It's yeah. it's a it's a when. It's not an if. So right. you you and you're not helpless it's not hopeless like you can be prepared you just have to practice it's like practicing for anything else you need to have 
crisis communication statements available so that you can, you know, if it affects the public services you provide, you need to be able to say, um, you know, if the press starts calling, you need to yeah. have those statements ready because you don't want to be distracted by all that. Um, exactly. You want to make sure that you can focus on recovery. And that's really right. what it's about. It's about being resilient and being able to recover quickly. Right. And I believe, um, like I mentioned, St. Mary's, Ontario earlier, they did an, an excellent job with that. Like the news was right on them about uh, personal information. And they were saying, um, as of right now, no, no personal information has gone out. No services have been affected. Um, they, yeah, they did a fantastically, exactly what you're saying, crisis management. Mm-hmm. They did a great job with that. And it's, like you said, just like any other crisis. Um, right. Uh, I, I guess uh, one more question about this um, this report. Uh, have, have you noticed any specific ge- geographical locations? I know there was another article about um, southwestern Ontario communities being targeted in Canada. Is there similar areas in, say, the States or the UK that you've noticed? Yeah, we didn't look at different regions within the different countries, but um, we do know that um, Americans are attacked and victimized a lot more than Canadians <laughs> So um, gonna, I don't know if that's uh, just a reflection of the size of the population. I was going to say a larger population, quite possibly. Um, yeah. Your, your uh, industries as well are a lot larger than ours. Um, and I yeah, mean, I, guess- I think those four countries that I mentioned kind of love to hate us. So um, <laughs> we have a giant target painted on ourselves. Yeah. Right. And I mean... Uh, it's the same issue up here in Canada too with Huawei is um, we're worried mainly about um, them getting into our infrastructure and um, intellectual theft, uh, yeah. things like that. Um, yeah, the American government has taken a pretty firm stance against Huawei. I, I, if if you're using their equipment, I would I would educate yourself. I would do some reading on some of the recent findings and. Um, I know that there's a push in the U.S. to replace most of that equipment. Right. And I know the conservative well. government up here was pushing to ban, I think, ban them outright. Uh, the liberal government, I believe, has just banned them from our 5G network. Uh, we talked a little bit about this off air, too, um, mm-hmm. about, uh, I mean, them being pretty well ingrained into into uh, the different um countries and the u.s like you said i believe they um they sorry i'm just trying to get my thoughts um they, yeah they they outright banned huawei equipment and isps were upset about that right because they had gone with the they had come equipment. in very low they were the lowest bidder um when isps had were shopping for new equipment especially in rural areas and right. um and so they went with the lowest bidder and uh, now they're being asked uh, by the Federal Trade Commission, I believe, to, to replace that equipment. Um, yeah. So even cheap is not always free, is not always <laughs> good, right? Free is not always right. free. Cheap isn't always cheap. There's a cost. And the cost right. in this case is, is national security and our data. Um, I actually heard, I was at a security conference last week, and I actually heard somebody say, um, just watching what's going on uh, in Russia and the cyber aspect of the war in the Ukraine, um, right. that that if Russia is is a, a cold or the flu, uh, China's a pandemic. It's <laughs> it's um, yeah. There's just there's a lot of learning happening right now. Right. right. There's a lot of countries in the world that are watching what's what Russia is doing and what's working and what's not for them. And, well, and that's um, the interesting thing too about China is they 
they sort of sit in the back and yeah. you don't notice them right away, but you see the little poking here and a little poking there. I know on social media, I check out Reddit, I check Imager every once in a while, and you'll see uh, promotions for the Russian war, like from the Russian side, and you're wondering where that comes from. And a lot of the times it is bots, yep. um, whether it be yep. Russian, whether it be Chinese, um, I don't know, but... Um, yeah, it, it's no, definitely it's, gonna, it's kind of a death by a thousand cuts, I'm afraid. <laughs> right, <laughs> we're, right, We're right. not paying enough attention to what's to what's happening. Yeah. But at the same time, I mean, we can't just... I was going to say you can't just outright confront them because geopolitically, I think that would just be... A... No, I mean, I think we just really have to pay more attention to how we can protect ourselves. Right. You know, and when you have other... When something feels too good to be true, when that Huawei equipment was far, far cheaper than everybody else's. And there's probably a reason why. So, um, so I think it's, it's kind of goes back to, you know, where we started with the general statements about fraud and that, and and one of those statements I would make is if it feels too good to be true, if it seems too good to be true, then it probably is. And you should, you should walk away. As with everything in life, if it feels too good to be true. Definitely yeah. walk away. Um, one other thing on this, I just wanted to uh, discuss something I saw in the report as well is um, reporting of uh, cyber crime to authorities. Um, I, I don't think that's a lot of a, a lot of people think of doing that. Um, yeah, I think. Um, well, so phishing has gotten easier to report. Gmail, for example, if you use that in your personal life, they've added a place to report phishing. Um, okay. When the email is open and you click on the dots next to more, you'll see not just report spam, but also now it says report phishing. That's right. really important. Um, reporting phishing to your to your employer, right? To your municipality right. or any other organization that you're involved with. Um, and then um, because that actually goes into there's actually you know data analytics that are happening that are watching what those sender addresses are, what those malicious links are. Um, and they're, they're looking at sort of like, who are the worst offenders and that, that makes them smarter, right? It makes Gmail smarter. Yeah. When we report a fish that got through one of their filters, right? They have a large security team that's working really hard to keep fish to, from getting through to begin with. When one gets through and we re-report it, then they can block that. Um, so that keeps other people from being, being right. victimized. Um, when it comes to reporting to the government, um, I think it's the same thing. Like the more we report, you know, in the U.S., it's to the to the FBI, the Internet Crime Complaint Center. Um, the more we report, we might not hear anything back. You know, you might feel like it's going into yeah. the ether somewhere, just into a black <laughs> hole. But the reality is, is they're they're collecting and aggregating that data as well, and they're looking at like, okay, where where are our biggest problems? Where are we seeing p- particular malicious actors? that are ramping up their operations that are getting more and more active that are doing more and more financial harm because right. all of the law enforcement globally has limited resources right yeah. they can't investigate every single scam or fraud and so they're looking at the ones that are doing the most damage um and they'll go after those folks first right i mean like anybody right. else they have to prioritize so if the rest of us don't report then that hinders their ability to be really efficient in law enforcement yeah. and try and bring some of these people to justice. And at the same time, too, it um, a lot of these um, scams are, I guess, part and parcel with sometimes larger crimes as well that they may oh, yeah. be 
that they may be investigating as well. And this is just another right. aspect to it. Um, yeah, this could just be one way to make money to fuel something else. Right. Um, you know, these are large organized crime groups. So you're talking drugs, weapons, human trafficking, you know, maybe they, um, you know, they do some hacking on the side to finance some of their other operations or facilitate some of their other operations. Um, And they do business with each other, just like we do in the legitimate world, right? So if I'm somebody who is harvesting credit card numbers, then I might partner with somebody who actually has a factory that prints credit cards um, and, and, and then resells those on the street to other criminals who go out and use them. Um, so these are, you know, they have call centers that they'll outsource to if, if right. it's those annoying phone calls saying that it's, you know, <laughs> the Revenue or whoever. Um, it, you know, they, they partner with each other and they, they supply each other with different services. And um, I actually saw this morning one of the marketing emails um, that one of the criminal organizations sends out to recruit other criminals and, and to sell oh. their services. And they wow. send marketing emails <laughs> to each other just like we do. So wow. um, just advertising how much money you can make if you partner with them and do do whatever XYZ scheme they've, they've got going. But um, so it's a business to these people. There are people that wake up every day to do this as a business. So right. that's that's what you're up against. You're not up against the kid in the basement. You're, no, you're up not against at all. algorithms and artificial intelligence and people that do this for a living. Right. Uh, and I guess in a lot of ways, governments and municipalities, just to sort of circle back into uh, my wheelhouse, um, those entities seem to be ideal targets with multiple weaknesses to mm-hmm. exploit, large pools of money, sometimes limited resources to prevent attacks. Yeah. Um are there any government organizations you've seen or experienced uh, who are taking the right measures to protect themselves? Um, yeah, I mean, I think having having an incident or two is a huge wake up call. <laughs> um, so, so you do hear those kinds of stories. I'm in the state of Texas, where a friend of right. mine used to be the deputy CISO for the state of Texas. So, I believe it was two years ago, October, um, September, October. There were. 16 municipalities and school districts in the state of Texas that got ransomware uh, all within a day or oh, two. Wow. And oh none God. of them paid a dime. Good. So <laughs> you can successfully, um, you know, you can survive these, these incidents without, without paying, you know, giving your money to criminals. Right. Um, yeah. I, I would argue that he was doing some things right that day. <laughs> <laughs> So what are some of the right things that uh, these uh, school districts in Texas did to um, not have to pay? To- so I think we're going to try and actually get the, the CISO from the state of Texas and, and my friend, the ex-deputy CISO, on a, on a call to run through it all in detail. Oh, so wow. um, I would say to your audience, if they're not in our database, get in our, da- our database. Okay. Just go to staysafeonline.org and sign up to be... Um, and get our email newsletters. And then when we announce that webinar, you'll see it. Um, So we are, pardon me? I'll put that in the show notes for everybody. This is definitely a site you should check out. And um, and if they have any questions, I believe you have a form in there for questions or comments. We do, we do. Or we have an email address, info at staysafeonline.org. So I don't know the the details, but I can't wait to find out on that webinar (laughs) from my friend Andy. That'll be really interesting. um, but I would say I'm sure it's things like making sure your backups 
were um, properly configured so that they don't also get infected with ransomware. Right. That's a that's a biggie. That's where a lot of folks really suffer. Well, that's um, the thing with backups too. And I mean, just like as technologically sound as I am, it's always the three backups you want: your computer, an external drive, and a cloud. Right. So on-site, off-site, and your computer are your yep. three backups. Correct. So, yeah. yeah. And yeah, and, that, and, um, and then just. Just having a crisis response plan, like knowing, you know, knowing, I'm sure they have practiced beforehand and everybody knew what their role was in the moment. Um, That's, that's really important. Um, I know that they do training. I know that there's the state of Texas um, makes, has a contract that any state entity can, can use the training that they purchase. So, um, so that might be something that, um, you know, provincial governments want to look at in Canada. It's honestly not a bad idea. That would be something right. um, that would be something interesting for the Ontario government to take a look at for municipalities in Ontario or. Um, yeah, we actually have a, um, a Canadian company that provides security training um, that's on our board. They're called Terra Nova and okay. they're out of uh, Quebec. Um, interesting. So they obviously they have everything in multiple languages and um but uh there are lots of options out there and um like i said the pricing is not astronomical and sometimes you can get those economies of scale if if you you know do what texas did and have one contract that's good for right all the state entities well i mean i know for bigger municipalities like ottawa toronto they have their own cybersecurity. uh trying to email some of our board members in toronto can be quite um complicated if you have attachments that they need to sign or something like that it just don't get through but for the smaller municipalities especially when it comes to the financials uh some of them just don't have the money for right big complicated um training and so on and so forth but i mean like, like you said it doesn't even have to be big and complicated it can be um, simple and um, mm-hmm. like the the organization for out of Quebec, they're they're uh, very well priced. But um, I guess some of the little things too to to combat cybercrime is um, like we said earlier, recognizing when something doesn't seem right. Uh, renewed training, I, th- I think, is the big thing too. Like it's it's one thing to have training once in a while, maybe once a year, but just to keep That's up. Not to date with that. Yeah, no, not at all, because these scams right. are evolving. They're changing and. Exactly. scammers are getting smarter. I, I remember, like you mentioned back in the day, the old uh, uh, Nigerian print scam. And that's so old and so overdone. It's now a trope unto of itself. Yep. Where, whereas now you're getting emails from Microsoft or calls from Microsoft saying, hey, we're Microsoft support and everything looks legit except for that one little letter. Right. So, I mean, if, you, if you're doing training, that's great. Do more of it. Um, Another thing that's really important is multi-factor authentication. So in your personal life and in your work life, making sure that every application you use, every account you have, whether it's social media or obviously your financial services accounts, you want all of that to have multi-factor authentication configured on it. And so that's just the thing where you have to prove that you're you in more than one way, right? You Yeah, you might get a text or a push notification to an authenticator app on your phone but make sure that's really important. And even things like social media, things that could be used um, to socially engineer somebody else, right? So if you're, right. Uh, or it would be incredibly embarrassing. So there's always <laughs> cases of somebody's website being taken over because they don't have 
2FA on their WordPress account. And right. somebody decides to take that over and just serve up porn or something, right? Uh, so um, it's it's embarrassing and, and right. it's unnecessary. So even things like your website should be protected with multi-factor authentication. That's, that's an excellent point. And um, password managers too, I just wanted to add that in there yep. as well. Like you mentioned earlier, don't have the same password for everything. Um, right. And most of us do. And the bad guys yeah. know that. Um, or we make really simple changes that we think are going to trick the bad guys. So we, you know, it might be password one, password two, password three. We just change the last digit or two. Uh, we take a really simple password and then maybe we change some of the letters to numbers, but we don't really make it long enough. And and length and complexity are really important when it comes to password passwords and uniqueness. So if I say to you, you can't use the same one twice and they all have to be truly unique and really long and complex, you're going to say, well, how in the heck am I going to remember all those? And, well, especially um, over like 50 different passwords, you've got exactly. your banking and social media. Your and- average person has has over 100, I believe. I saw some oh data lately. It's, it's a crazy wow. number. <laughs> um, so what we recommend then is using a password manager. Right. And there are um, quite a few out there. Consumerreports.org re- uh, reviews them as does uh, Tom's Guide and other online publications that do technology reviews. A lot sure of them Chrome have really... has one embedded too, right? Yes. Yes. A lot of them have really basic free versions. You can pay a little more and have a family account, which is super handy. That's how we arm twisted our kids into using it when they went away to <laughs> university. Um, we changed the Netflix password and then they called oh. and said, what's the Netflix password? <laughs> and we said, well, if you want the Netflix password, you're going to have to start yeah. using that password manager that we that we told you to install. There's no way you're going to remember this 26 character password. <laughs> nope, and I'm not texting it to you. So no. you can use the password oh, manager. No, so no. Uh, they make it really easy to share things like that within families. And these are simple things that you can do to keep yourself safe and to keep everybody around you safe as well. Because yep. as we've discussed, like if somebody can get into one of your things they've got all of your contacts and everybody else that they can now attack and in an easier way too, because these people already have your, are already, already trust you and they see an email coming from you. And yeah, that's, um, yeah. So it's, it's, it's little things. It's simple things to keep you safe. Um, and to keep you out of problems like this. Yeah. I'll give you one more little tip from our website. We have a page, um, with, all the popular applications, including social media and links to where to go to, to change your security or privacy settings. So if you want to tweak some of those, in other words, you know, how do you go to Facebook and make sure that nobody can see your friend group? Nobody can see who's in your friend group, for example, which we highly recommend um, that you keep that private, things like that. So um, those can be hard to find because every different application puts them someplace else. (laughs) Those are so standard there. So, um, so we have on staysafeonline.org, we have a page that um, that shows you that just has a link to everyone to try and make it easier for you because it's complicated. Okay. Yeah, definitely. Okay, that's awesome. Um, definitely check it out, uh, staysafeonline.org. Um, if, you're, if you're a smaller municipality, if you're just an average person who wants to keep your family safe, check out the website, check out everything they have to, to offer you. Um, even if you're with one of the big municipalities that gives you training every I don't know, three to six months, it's never a bad thing to implement this stuff at home and to make sure you personally are safe because it's going to help you in the workplace and help you not make mistakes that cost your municipality 
hundreds of thousands of dollars. So yeah, and we've even got content like just a couple weeks ago, we did a webinar on cyberbullying, and we've got tip sheets on what to do oh. if you're a kid, if you're a teacher, if you're a school administrator, if you're a parent, if you're an older child, a younger child, you know, how do I handle this? Who do I report to? All those kinds of things. Um, so we do seasonal campaigns like that, um, safe holiday shopping, or, you know, around the holidays, yeah. things like that to try and help cool. um, companies, municipalities and consumers. Well, with Amazon days coming up, uh, Black Friday and so on, or Cyber Monday, we've got to be safe there too, right? right? Yep. All right. Um, I know uh, I know you have a hard out in about 10 minutes and I don't want to keep you too much longer. So thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. The insights you brought forward will be a great help to keeping not only municipalities safe, but uh, I hope the people in their everyday lives as well. So um, with it being Cybersecurity Awareness Month, are there any pearls of wisdom or anything else you want to leave us with? Turn on multi-factor authentication on everything <laughs> that you can. That is that is that is key right there. That's my one tip. And if you get a text asking you to you know to click on it to get into your bank account, make sure you were the one trying to get into your bank account. Don't respond to it if you didn't initiate it. But well, that's the thing too. MFA is, banks, is, banks, and everything—they never ever ask you for your password or send right. you links to anything. They'll just say go to our website. So exactly. I mean, it's little things like that that you got to look out for. And I mean, yeah. those are those are little things that you stay safe. Those are little things that set off red flags in my head. And mm -hmm. to circle back, and I guess to complete this circle about the social engineering, know the people you're working with and how they're going to ask things. Right. When our executive director actually asked me for a favor, I walked to his office and said, "Is this you?" And he's like, yes, it is. Okay, it doesn't sound like you. <laughs> nope, that's really important. Well, thanks for having <laughs> me. This was fun today. All right. Okay, we're going to wrap this up for now. I want to thank you once again for joining us and remind everybody to stay safe out there digitally. Remember, if it seems odd, chances are it's a scam. If it raises red flags, just don't do it. If it's too good to be true, right? Uh, there's no harm done by asking someone else, uh, but one, one, one website you don't have to worry about is the new goodroads.ca. Our fall and winter education offerings are now available for registration, so check them out under the education section to see how Good Roads can help you succeed in your career. While you're there, have a look at the Career Hub for all of the latest career postings from around the province. And finally, if you have any challenges afflicting, uh, uh, afflicting your municipality, uh, present it on our Ask an Experts page. If you have questions, we're going to find the answers. Uh, also, be sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and now Instagram for up-to-date information on everything happening at Good Roads. Uh, if you're watching this on YouTube, give, the, give this video a thumbs up. Remember to, to subscribe because it's not just the podcast that goes up here. We offer uh, great content to help you run your municipality as efficiently as possible. And also leave a comment. Give us your feedback. It uh, feeds the algorithm and uh, we love to hear from you. So thanks for hanging out with us, everybody. Uh, now that things have calmed down a bit around here, we'll be dropping podcasts a little bit more regularly. So keep an eye out, an eye out for that. Uh, but until then, everybody, take it easy.